Welcome to Word Processing, a resource of Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. Listen in as we discuss issues of God, His Word, and His people. Well, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Word Processing. My name is Andrew and I'm joined today with Josiah and we work at Oak Ridge Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. And as is the norm on this podcast, we like to discuss God's Word. Who would have guessed it with a title like Word Processing, eh, Josiah? Amen. We are in the book of Colossians. We're almost done, but Josiah, this week we are in chapter four and a really small passage actually this week, just five verses. Uncharacteristic for me. Yeah. A, a little bit, a little bit. I know the odd time. Sense the surprise in your voice. Well, I just know like from experience even preaching smaller texts, I find harder at times because you have a lot less to, to work with sometimes and a lot less to extrapolate from. And like I said, this week, only five verses, Colossians chapter four, verses two through six. Josiah, remind us, get us on the same page. What were these five verses about? But also I'm curious, again, from a pastoral kind of preaching point of view, what was it about this text that helped you determine to preach it separate from, let's say, last week or next week? There is a bit of subjectivity to deciding how much to teach at a time. Anyone that's even read the Bible, when do you stop? Uh, If it's not at the actual chapter divisions, then when do you stop reading? When do you start reading? There is a bit of subjectivity and you're trying to decide where the thought ends. And it's the same for for preaching. I can't preach necessarily all of Colossians in one go, even though it is one letter, um, we divide it up. And so for me, it was we came to the end of talking about the family, talking about slaves and masters, ending at chapter 4, verse 1. And so he starts a new thought talking about prayer. And then if you look down to verse 7, which is where Lord Willing will start next Sunday, he says, as to all my affairs, and he starts listing people. So there seems to be another change there. And so In between those two sections, the family and then his affairs, you have these five verses talking about ministry in general terms, I suppose. And so really, you ask what this little section is about. It's about prayer and it's about living a purified life. Mm -hmm. Now, specifically, I mean, really, what we're talking about here is doing the work of ministry that we're all called to as Christians. And again, you mentioned very clearly on Sunday, this is not just the paid pastors or the missionaries or even the church leadership, but this is all Christians. I mean, it's not so long ago we went through Matthew 28 together as a church as we finished up Matthew to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. This is a task, a great commission given to Christians. Now, specifically, you pointed out that this passage reassures and encourages us in the work that we will do as Christians in two specific ways, which you just kind of alluded to there, serving in our prayer lives and also through our purified lives. So I thought today maybe we'd start by talking about prayer. So you mentioned the idea that in the busyness of our lives, oftentimes prayer is the first thing to get the axe or get pushed to the sidelines. And I know I've mentioned before that sometimes it seems like we overuse or even live out the idea that, well, there's nothing left to do but pray, which really kind of shifts prayer to being this sort of afterthought or last resort. Why do you think it is that prayer is so often pushed to the sidelines or viewed as unimportant or dismissible, at least in comparison with, you know, the real work of ministry? Mm -hmm. Super important question. And can I come back to that in a minute? I want to go back and defend something that I did on Sunday, defend a move, I guess, to the Great Commission. Yeah, because then again, it doesn't quote the Great Commission here. Exactly. So why are we talking about ministry in that way? Well, I think if we scan through these five verses, there are evidences that 
Paul is talking about doing the work of ministry. Mm-hmm. So he says in the section on praying, he says that God will open up a door for the words that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. Well, what would that be other than making disciples, mm. the proclamation of the gospel? And yep. then in the section in verses five and six, when he talks about the purified life or pursuing holiness, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. So these are unbelievers making the most of the opportunity and then let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. So there is this, even in these five verses, there is this flavor of evangelism, of ministry. And that's how I took that and attached it to the Great Commission. Really, at the end of Matthew, we have this sending out of the apostles and sending out of all the disciples that came from the apostles' ministry, essentially, which includes us. And then that Great Commission, as we know, ripples all the way through the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Ripples all the, it's And do the work of an evangelist, he tells Timothy. And there's all this commands to go out and propagate the gospel. And this would just be an example of that, I think. And something that the people in Colossae would have read, heard, understood exactly what he was referring to. And so by looking at, you know, elsewhere in Paul's writings, it can help our understanding a little more to clue in. Oh, when he talks about opening doors, when he talks about how we live our lives, like clearly this is connected with the things he talks about all throughout the New Testament. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, it totally makes sense. So then your question was... Sure. Prayer. Why does it get pushed to the backseat? I think sometimes people even talk about it as though, you know, other work is the real ministry. And if we have time, we'll squeeze in prayer. You know, that prayer is something that we could do or maybe ought to do in our private time. But, you know, but now that we're at work, we need to get to work. Yeah. Well, I can only answer personally as someone who it is literally my job description to be of the word and prayer. Like in the book of Acts, they appointed deacons so that the apostles could be about the work of the word and prayer. That is really my job description. So half of my job description is prayer. And I feel that pressure every week yeah. to squeeze out the work of prayer for like you said, in air quotes or scare quotes, yeah, yeah, know, yeah. The, the real work of ministry. Would, I guess it doesn't work so well on a, yeah, an audio right. format. I'm doing the air quotes yes. right now. Yes. <laughs> um, why is that? Well, for me, I think part of the reason is because the latter, the work of the word is tangible. Mm-hmm. There's a product that is produced after the fact. Yeah. Sometimes even like, and that's even <laughs> not even fully where like, there's a lot of reading and studying I do that does not get seen, right? Mm-hmm. And this is not just true of me. This is true of all of us, right? We're yeah. in the word, we're studying, but we can maybe say, okay, I know this now that I didn't know one hour ago. And so it seems like there's something quantitative happening. Yeah. With prayer, it's really just us throwing ourselves on the mercy of God and saying, I need your help. There's nothing noticeable or measurable as much there. And so when people look at your life, they can see, okay, I see that you've studied and you produced this, in my case, this this sermon, this writing, whatever the case may be. They can't look at my life and say, oh, I can totally tell that you have prayed for two hours a day. Yeah. That's not the same thing. So there's less pressure or there's less incentive in a worldly sense to pray than there is to study. I feel like too, even in the times that I've tried to quantify or measure like like you make a a goal even and say i'm gonna pray through the whole directory today or this week there's times even with that i'm like am i just rushing through people that need actually more prayer and the goal to try and meet this goal of get through the directory that i arbitrarily set for myself rather than maybe focusing on the people that really need it or or whatever the the situation might be or that I somehow think of it as yeah that last resort that you know I need to do what I can do because God's empowered me to do it and then if I need extra help then I'll ask him Mm -hmm. rather than what you kind of hinted at on Sunday or I guess even directly mentioned which is that if we don't start with prayer 
everything else we're doing is just pointless. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you think of something, maybe not the word in prayer, but think of, let's say, disaster relief. Something happens in Eastern Canada, right, where there's people that are hurting. And immediately the church moved by compassion. They'll say, we need to meet that need. We need to get out there and meet that need, which is wonderful. That's fine. There's nothing necessarily sinful about that. But that can seem more strategic or more important than the church gathering together to pray for those people out there instead. Mm -hmm. We think, if we don't say it outright, we some of us think it, okay, it's wonderful to pray, but let's get to actual let's get to the actual action yep. here. Let's get to actual service. If we just sit on our hands, so to speak, and pray, that's not doing anyone any good. And even just saying that sounds terrible yeah. as I say that now. Yeah. But we kind of if we don't think it, we treat it that way sometimes. I think the world really pushes in that direction yeah. too, right? Especially like that's been the big thing, you know, we don't want your thoughts and prayers. We want action. Yeah. Has been the big narrative push recently. Yeah. We're tired of your thoughts and prayers. We need actual change. We need actual action, which implies that that prayer isn't doing anything. Yeah. It isn't action. And if we go to scripture and we actually believe what the Bible says about prayer, then the reverse, the opposite is actually true. Mm -hmm. That far and away the best thing we can do for the persecuted Christians in the Middle East or whatever the case may be, the absolute best thing we can do is pray for them, is actually not to go and meet their physical needs, although that's fine. The best thing we can do is pray. And then we want to do other things as well sure. as the Lord leads us. But if we meet all of these physical needs and we get boots on the ground over there, wherever it is, and don't pray, then it really is just human flailing and it's not divine power that will make an eternal difference. I was really thinking about like, the why of this all like that makes so much sense when we think about it like this if we are christians we actually believe about prayer what the bible says about prayer which is that we are entering into the throne room of grace we are talking to the creator god how on earth do we backseat it and i can't help but think it has to just be a perfect ploy of the enemy mm -hmm. to convince us that talking to ourselves mm -hmm. quote unquote in a room alone wasting time is not helpful because he does not want us empowered by God's strength. Yeah. You think about an opportunity you might have to share the gospel with someone. Let's imagine for a moment, someone comes up, hey, my friend's coming over. I would like you to come to my house and share the gospel with this person. And it's going to happen in 30 minutes. The question is, what do we do for that 30 minutes? Mm -hmm. Now, most of us will probably start thinking about, okay, the strategy, what will I say? What if they object this way? How will I respond? And we What's start- the Roman's road? <laughs> yeah, we start strategically going through things like that, which is not bad. On the other hand, we'd say, what if I spent that entire 30 minutes in prayer? Or what if I spent 25 minutes of in prayer, five yeah. minutes thinking about, that seems so unstrategic. That seems so... Well, opposite to the productivity that the world is cramming at us, right. right? And yet the Bible would say, no, that's actually of the most benefit. Pray for their soul. Um, there's a, a quote I, I love from a book called True Evangelism by Lewis Berry Chafer, where he says something like, the privilege of winning someone to the Lord is oftentimes given to the one who has first labored for them in prayer. Mm -hmm. That if we pray for the soul, that is usually that privilege of actually leading to the Lord is often given to the person who has first been on their knees for that person. Mm -hmm. Not strategically thinking about what to say or how to respond to certain things. Not bad things. No. But we must pray first. That's where the power comes in. And I mean, if you take that to its logical conclusion, like how arrogant of us to think that I can do better prep for someone's soul in 30 minutes than God can. Mm -hmm. That to assume that I am so important here that I need to get my ducks in a row mm -hmm. rather than just trusting in the Lord to yeah. help us with that process. Yeah, it could certainly be arrogance. It could also just be an insecurity. Yep, fear. That I, I need to prepare. And it can be out of a sincere longing to 
represent the Lord well. Yep. I'm going to think about all of these different scenarios, things that could come up so that I have a response. In fact, even in this text, it says in verse 6, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Well, yep. I want to know how to respond to each person. So I have to think through all the potential scenarios. And we need to stop there and say, that's not a bad thing. But if we don't go back and prepare our hearts, ask the Lord to prepare their hearts, then it's all kind of it's, moot. It's both and. We don't want to yeah. make a false dichotomy here either, right? But yeah, I think so often we're fighting against that idea that like, you know, prayer is great, but we need to take practical steps or like we don't want to just sit in the background and, and wait for God to bring stuff to us. We actually have to be out there. And that's true too. We do yeah. want to be out there. We do want to be taking action. But prayer is an important part of that. That is the fuel that drives us in our action and mm-hmm. the, the, the thing that keeps us on task and on the road. So with that all in mind, what are some suggestions, some things that we can be doing if we've noticed or we know even just straight up that prayer has taken a backseat in our lives? How do we prioritize it? How do we shift our thinking on this? I mean, how do we prioritize anything in our life? Just do it. I don't know yeah. why we, we treat spiritual things sometimes as a separate category than yeah. other things. How do I prioritize my relation with my wife? I schedule a date night, perhaps. How do I prioritize uh, certain tasks I have to do at work? I carve out that time to make sure it gets done first. How do I prioritize exercise in my life? There's all of these things. We, we know how to do this. The problem is prayer is just not that important. If we're really honest with ourselves, prayer is just not that important. If it was, we would make sure that that got first billing mm-hmm. in our day. We would schedule that time out. Now, that sounds super maybe unspiritual to schedule time with the Lord. But I think until it becomes this habit where we can do what Paul commands us to do, to pray without ceasing, where that just characterizes our lives all the time, we have to be diligent and schedule things in, right? Until you find that eating well feels it becomes a habit, sometimes you have to slug through a diet where you don't like to eat well, Mm -hmm. right? It just has to become. And so when he says in verse two, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, I think that that devotion to prayer has to become a habit and we have to force it sometimes by scheduling time. And I see no easy way around that. No, just decide to do it and find a way to do it. If you want to make it a priority, then you find a way to make a priority. It's the same, like you're you're saying, as with anything, as with a relationship with any other person, which, I mean, prayer is part of our relationship with Christ, how we interact with God the Father, how Mm -hmm. we place things at his feet. And if we're not spending that intentional time, we're we're missing out. Mm Mm-hmm. And just like anything, that's hard to do at first. There's some pragmatic suggestions that we could give. Don't start, if you've never been in the habit of praying, don't say, I'm going to do two hours every morning kind of thing. And just like Bible reading plan, right? I'm going to read seven chapters a day. I've never read the Bible before, but I'm going to start with seven chapters a day. Well, don't do that. Mm -hmm. Just create a habit. Start 10 minutes a day. You're just going to pray. And then you say, well, what am I going to pray? I don't know if I have 10 minutes worth of material to talk to the Lord. Okay, well then start making a list or use the Psalms. Mm-hmm. Pray a Psalm a day. Yep. Pray pray scripture back to the Lord, those kinds of things. There are certain helps that can aid us in creating the habit. I think making a list is such a good one because yeah. as you sit down and start trying to list, sure. you know, everyone in your life you could be or should be praying for. It's funny how quickly like, oh, I need that person too and that person. Mm-hmm. Oh, I forgot about them. And you just keep going. And you, next thing you know, you've been at it for an hour or, or yeah. things you're thankful for, for things sure. you could be thankful for or should be thankful for. Or even think about your day ahead if you're mm-hmm. praying in the morning. What are the things I know are on my calendar? Yeah. And I'm just going to ask for the Lord's grace in each one of those appointments or assignments. And uh, the things that you don't know about, the things that might just pop up or come up too, Exactly. Right? The Lord knows them. And so you mm-hmm. ask for maybe your own, pa- Lord, give me patience when these things happen, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when I'm interrupted 
or whatever the case may be. I think it's it's not that hard to create a list, I think. But again, if you're lacking, you're really struggling, then go to the Psalms, go to parts of scripture and pray them back to God mm. and just start small. But we have to cultivate the habit if we're not in the habit. And for those of us who are in the habit, I mean, it's an ever-expanding, beautiful calling to pray for the saints, to pray for all the, the work that the Lord is doing and to intercede on behalf of all of that. Well, and specifically, you did give us three suggestions directly from the text that we can be praying for, which is opportunity, tenacity, and clarity. Mm -hmm. And really, those encapsulate so much of what we need eh, when it comes to ministry. Opportunities to share the gospel, tenacity to endure when it gets hard, and clarity to explain things rightly. And Mm -hmm. I don't really have a question here as much as just to say, like, how much easier does sharing the gospel seem if we know that we have these God-given things? It just feels so much more empowered when you know that you're not relying on yourself. And I feel like praying for these things for the brethren is great mm-hmm. and important, but praying it for ourselves as well is just so so pride relieving, I think, that if we do end up sharing the gospel with someone, we can't take it on ourselves, but we have to give the glory to God. For sure. Yeah, I think that that's the key for me, at least that last part, what you said of it takes the onus off of me. It reminds me that evangelism and Christian ministry is not on my own power. So let's say that I'm praying for, I just want an opportunity to share the gospel. I'm praying for tenacity to keep on going even when maybe it doesn't go that well. I'm discouraged or I get insulted and I'm I'm asking the Lord for clarity to communicate it clearly. And let's say it doesn't go well. Well, it wasn't on me then. You know, I can say, okay, Lord, you want me to learn something here? I hope I'm going to pray that my attempt at least chipped away at a hard heart or something like that. I'm going to leave it with you again. Mm-hmm. Or if it does go well, I can't jump in and steal the <laughs> the glory of that. Yeah. Man, I, I really got them with that line of this, that, or the other. I can't I'm do so that. I'm so clever. Yeah, yeah, I'm so clever. It's all the Lord. And that does take a lot of pressure off for sure, I think. The pressure and the pride. And the pride, yeah. Well, the second section we talked about was really about how we live a purified life among unbelievers. That the, the way that we talk and we act can be a part of our ministry and mission. And my mind went right to First Peter chapter two, verse twelve: "Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God." on the day of visitation. I almost kind of, I guess, forgot that Paul references this in Colossians as well, the idea of how we choose to act, how we choose to speak amongst people who are not believers, that that is a part of our mission, that is a part of our our ministry, our testimony to them as well. So what are some practical ways that we can live this out? And where are some areas that people might struggle with this? I think the way we live this out or the way we prepare to live this out has been outlined in Colossians. So I think Start Colossians has built to this. Oh, okay. Through the whole the book. book. Yeah, 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 yeah. So if we go back in time, we have this amazing Christ hymn where he just lifts Jesus above everything else. And then he says, fill your mind with that and put off the old self to which you are dead Put on the new Christ-like self, live this way. It will change your home, fill yourself with prayer. And now he says, now go out and be among unbelievers like that. Like that is the the process, right? There's nothing special necessarily we do as Christians. No. We just want to be Christians, but we want to be Christians around non-Christians. That's the issue, right? Is a lot of us sometimes will find ourselves, maybe if we look around our lives, honestly, oh, I don't have a lot of contact with unbelievers. That's not great, you know, in terms of evangelism. Mm -hmm. No, I want to be saturated with Christ-likeness, pursuing Christ-likeness, and then just be around people who need to know Christ. That's kind of the the strategy that Paul lays out in Colossians anyway. Mm -hmm. The more amazed I am at Christ, uh, the more obvious that will be when I'm around people who don't know him. Especially because as we live our lives, that demonstrates the truth that we know and that we'll live 
in ways counterculturally to the world around us that people will start to notice or as you talked about i think on sunday the kind of the stink of mm-hmm. the sheep right the people that you're around mm-hmm. i should add it's not a call to perfect living of course you know there's something sweet about seeing an authentic person that is not all the way holy yet but is on route to holiness mm-hmm. that is concerned about pursuing holiness not out of some guilt mm-hmm. or burden but just sort of joy for all the Savior has done for them. Mm-hmm. We're not being called here to perfect living around unbelievers. We're being called to conscientious living that puts off the old, that when we fail around unbelievers, we might go to them and ask forgiveness. Mm-hmm. That's a righteous thing to do. Uh, there's other things that we can do that we're just trying to stumble in and plod toward godliness by God's power for his glory and doing it transparently around unbelievers. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly around believers as well but once in a while around unbelievers also as a form of evangelism. And on the flip side, I'm thinking about the idea that where this could be a struggle. And I feel like obviously if we're not around unbelievers, that can be a difficulty. But I think on the flip side too, if we are not doing the first part well, this gets a lot harder. If we are not taking off the old, putting on the new, if we are not keeping our minds on things above, then as we immerse ourselves in culture, in people, in the lives of unbelievers, there is a chance that it can pull us a lot more down than we are lifting them up, mm-hmm. that we can find ourselves, you know, putting on our church hat for Sunday morning and then taking it off to go blend for during sure. the week. And so I think you're right. Going back to the beginning of Colossians, we need to be doing the whole process, not just the end piece. Yeah. And even what he has here, starting with prayer, going into it with the mindset of relying on God for those interactions, for those those life opportunities as well. There's this old saying for uh, for preachers, and I haven't been able to track down where it came from originally, and we've talked about it before, where it says something like, when you're preparing to preach, you think yourself empty. You read yourself full, meaning with the word, right? You read yourself full. You write yourself clear. So when you write out what you're going to say, you write yourself, it kind of, there's a clarifying mm-hmm. aspect to that. Then you pray yourself hot and you'll let yourself go. And I think there's something, surely that's true when we preach. We want to fill ourselves with the word. We want to make sure we're clear in our delivery, what we want to say. We pray ourselves hot and we let ourselves go in the preaching moment. But that's true for all believers, I would say as well. Mm -hmm. And when it says, think yourself empty, it's meaning meaning emptying yourself of worldly philosophies and ideologies. I don't want to let that take away from the word I'm about to fill myself with. I want to let the word speak for itself. Well, Christians, that's all of us. We want to throw off that old self, all the philosophies and things that Paul's warned us about in Colossians, fill ourselves with the word of God. Maybe have conversations with other believers to get clear on what we believe and what we hold true. And then we pray ourselves just hot with the Holy Spirit and we just live. We let ourselves go around unbelievers. There is a liberty and a freedom and a power to that type of Christian ministry, a ministry to which we are all called. Mm -hmm. Well, Josiah, I thought we'd end today with prayer. Specifically, since we're going to talk about it, we talked about it all episode. And I thought maybe I'd just pray for us, for you and I, but for our congregation as well, that we would be people of prayer and of purity in our lives. So let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your word inspired by your spirit written through the hand of Paul to this church so many years ago. That is so helpful for us now. That reminds us of the importance of looking to your son, Christ, and his perfection and his glory the reminder to fill our minds with things above, to take off the old, to dress ourselves with the new, to pursue holiness, to live great lives among the people that we interact with. But Father, this call here is to prayer, to inspire our ministry and the ministry of those around us with the power of your spirit through prayer. And so now we come before you and we ask for your grace. We ask for your 
courage. We ask for your power, your strength, your uh, opportunity, your tenacity, your clarity, so that as we live our lives, shaped by Christ, growing to be more like Christ in the world that hates Christ at many times. Father, will you help us to be people of love, people of grace, people of truth, uh, people who can share your gospel. So give us opportunities, God. Help us to be tenacious and even when it gets difficult to endure and help us to speak your truth with clarity to those all around us. Father, we pray that as a church, we will be known as people of prayer and people of purity. And we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are encouraged and learned something new. Visit oakridgebiblechapel.org to listen to sermons and for more information.